Welcome to Mind the Shift. I am Anders Bolling. One of the most persistent uh, existential questions is, are we alone in the universe? Whether this is a spiritual question or not is up to the, the person asking the question, I suppose. At any rate, there's no doubt there's uh, th- that this question entails tons of plain old physics. So in this episode, we'll uh, look into out into space and talk about UFOs or UAPs, as the US authorities prefer to call them these days. My guest today is Klaus Swan, a former colleague and a friend. He is a journalist and a writer, but he's also known in Sweden and beyond uh, as a leading UFO expert. Klaus is international director of UFO Sweden, an organization that he chaired for 22 years. He's written dozens of books about mysteries and unexplained phenomena, not, not only UFOs, but other phenomena as well. And he is an avid blogger. Welcome, Klaus. Thank you, Anders. Nice to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, so why UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena? Why did they change from UFO? What's the point point, point of that? Yeah, that's a good question, really, because uh, <coughs> UFOs was coined by the American Air Force in the 1950s. So UFO is an American term from the American military. Now they have changed that uh, to UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And, of course, they want to put uh, the stigma that comes along with UFOs as far away from them as they could. Because in UFOs you can find everything from abductions, uh, cattle mutilations, uh, crop circles, uh, well, anything really that is connected to the notion that we are visited by some okay, alien. Okay, so crop circles are, are, are part of the UFO term as well? Well, many that people believe, yeah, it's strange. Everything is strange when it comes <laughs> to this. <laughs> but, of course, uh, some people think that they are uh, traces or messages, rather, yeah. left for us to decipher from alien beings. So yeah. it's a very broad topic, of course. But the, the American uh, military wants to get rid of all that, and focus on uh, their own pilots, their own military personnel's observations, and uh, have narrowed it down to this UAP mm. stuff. So I think it's wise, because uh, they will be swamped with, with observations if they didn't do that. Okay, I understand. So UAPs are basically the same thing as, as UFOs, uh, I mean, from the perspective of the US military, but they, they want to kind of... Uh, what did you just call it, get rid of the stigma yeah, yeah. coming from UFO terms. And it's interesting, I should note, that in 1983, UFO Sweden met with one of the top uh, uh, military advisors, astronomer J. Allen Hynek, who was investigating UFOs for the US military. And he was at that time proposing to us that changed the term to UAP okay. in 1983. So it's not new in any way, but it's new that this will probably be, be the acronym used from now on. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so let's begin with the uh, the most topical topic, so to speak. <laughs> uh, as we record this, uh, this very much anticipated report from the U.S. government has has not yet arrived, but we we think that it's gonna gonna be released uh, before the end of June, possibly June twenty fifth, which is tomorrow from the day that we're recording this, and uh, it is. Um, uh, I, I understand that some information trickled out earlier this month when 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 Congress uh, got to read the secret parts of this this report, didn't yeah. it? So what do we know so far? 
what happened uh, early this month was that some of the members of the intelligence committees in the, in, uh, in the House uh, were briefed. <coughs> I don't think they ever got to read anything. They were only briefed okay. by uh, personnel from the U.S. Navy and, uh, and the FBI. And also the director for the UAPTF, the task force that is now committed to, to, to bring this documentation to the Congress in a couple of days, or maybe tomorrow, from today. And uh, <coughs> what they did get to know was that uh, in this report, around 120 observations have been investigated. I should really stress that it's impossible that within 180 days, that is the time frame that yeah. this uh, task force has had to investigate 120 reports, it's, it's impossible. So I'm not really sure what, uh, how deep they will go into this. But there is so many. And about half of them, it's said, uh, will be still unidentified. And it's also in the report that um, they have not been able to, to pinpoint the source from many of those observations. Mm. So what is it that these pilots have, have recorded, really? We, we, we'll try to, in the video version, we try to 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 uh, edit in um, some pictures so the viewers can can see what they look like. But to, to just talk about it. What is it? It's very dramatic. You hear the, their voices and uh, wowing and look at that thing and it's rotating. And, well, they are really excited. So they see unknown, quite small objects, uh, probably not more than a couple of meters, that are flying uh, in very strange uh, ways. And they are filming them with those infrared cameras that they have on board of those F-18 Hornets. And um, in one, at one point, uh, one of those objects uh, leaves the screen very, very fast. And that is from an observation <coughs> from uh, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, west of California, outside in, in the ocean, when the uh, carrier uh, USS Nimitz uh, got radar returns that were very, very strange for several days. And uh, at one point, they also met uh, those objects uh, in the sky. Okay. So one of the pilots, he saw one of those objects down just above the surface. And he later on called it the Tic Tac, shaped like a Tic Tac, yeah. an oval, oblong thing. And this strange Tic Tac craft, it is flowing, it flew in a circular motion, and he was trying to fly after it. But uh, suddenly it went away, and at that point he was out of fuel. He and his wingman had to return to the carrier, and another pilot went after this. And the object suddenly appeared at a point where those pilots had a rendezvous point, so it, it knew where where the American aircraft were mm -hmm. heading. But at this point, he, he the, the other pilot uh, could film uh, this object, and at that, in, the, in the end of that film, you can see the object going away very fast. Okay. So they are very strange. Another pilot has said that they have seen those objects every day for several years. Every day for several years. And and before this, uh, before they were able to record this, uh, this Tic Tac object, the, the, the carrier had, as you said, um, detected it on, on radar yeah. for a long time. And yeah. they didn't understand what was happening. Was was it was just the radar behaving strangely, or did they actually see some kind of object on the radar? We moving? don't really exactly know. We haven't seen anything, any any film clips or anything from that. 
But the story goes that they did see objects coming down from very, very high altitudes, going down to the surface and suddenly stop. And <clears throat> at that point when they are traveling down, they are surpassing, I don't know how many max, but maybe too many times the sound barrier yeah. that the human being can withstand. So if there was an object, they were not manned, not by us. Yeah, anyway. not man-made or at least not no no human beings in it. No, it couldn't be, absolutely. Perhaps it could be some kind of a drone or something? Absolutely. That, that's uh, what uh, the military really are looking into. And as early as 2017, the first um, really um, serious attempt to try to see who were flying over the U.S. came out from, from uh, uh, I think it was a high-ranking military that had seen so many reports about drone-like objects over U.S. territory that he asked that this must be looked into. Mm. So that was the embryo to this uh, report that was um, okayed by, by the Congress last summer and was signed by, by Donald Trump in uh, late December. And now, 180 days after his signature was put on that paper, we will see the result of it. Mm. Super interesting. What, so what makes these, uh, you, you've talked a little bit about it, but what makes these objects interesting? What, what properties do they have that tell us that these are probably not man-made? One of the properties are those fast-moving, uh, descending when they're going down to the surface of, of, the, of the sea in a, in a way that uh, we don't know how they do it. It's too fast. Another one is uh, a film coming out from uh, another American uh, uh, ship outside California, the coast of California, uh, the USS Omaha. It was in uh, July, 17th of July, 2019. And there you can see an object, one of 14 objects that were uh, picked up by the radar, uh, going around in an erratic motion over the ocean, and suddenly <coughs> descending and vanishing Into beneath, the sea. beneath the surface. And that is not something that the Americans can do themselves. And we don't know about any uh, kind of uh, uh, engineering that could make a flying object suddenly turn into a submarine. Mm. We don't have that at this time, as we know. Yeah, and according to the con- what the congressmen have told the media uh, from the information that they got, this is the, the U.S. government has, has said clearly that this is not U.S. technology. Yeah. Yeah, they have said that, and uh, that is very interesting, of course. I mean, if half of the observations are not known, and they are not from the U.S. Uh, I talked with the assistant uh, chief of the Swedish Air Force a couple of weeks ago, and he he thought they could be secret U.S. uh, technology. That was his take on it. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that he has any insight into this at all, but that was what he thought. So that, that then that, that the U.S. government would be lying about this? Well, may, maybe they're very much compartmentalized and they don't know what the other okay. branch is doing. And, of course, if they are super secret about something very new, they could lie about it. On the other hand, why do you fly those stuff around their own carriers? Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> That's very difficult. Making all this, this uh, commotion. I mean, there's so many things that are really unknown in, in, to, in this. What about the Russians and the Chinese? Have they said anything about this? No, they haven't. And it's re- really strange. I mean, uh, one wonders if Biden and Putin did talk about this. That's true. Yeah. Which they should have, I think. 
I mean, uh, it would have been uh, very strange if Biden wouldn't have brought it up. But we don't know that, and it has, nothing has leaked. They have not said anything, really. And uh, if, the, if it is uh, Russia or China, they have taken a very, very big leap in technology. If we are to uh, rely on the reports, of course, we haven't seen the data behind those mm. stories yet. We have heard the stories, but not seen any hard data. Somebody said that if, if let's say, the, the Russians or the Chinese have developed this technique, technology, and they probably would have been doing that for, for decades then, uh, th- this this would be a game changer. And, and it would be possible to to construct weapons that are so dangerous and so so uh, uh, s- superior mm. that that there would be really no point in uh, in um, spending billions and billions of dollars on on, on um, conventional weapons and conventional military which they are doing yeah very much so yeah you're right of course i mean <laughs> it's a leap that is uh, like the moon landing or whatever yeah. when that happened it is a game changer of course but not, again, we must really see the hard data, and the hard data will probably not be disclosed to us because there will be a secret part of this report, and the secret part of this report will contain uh, what kind of radar they used, uh, the, the figures, and uh, all, all the hard stuff they analyzed. What we will get to know is what people saw and the, the observations and what they did, not how they did it. Mm. So there will be questions, uh, and, and uh, I read today in Politico uh, an interview with Marco Rubio, and Marco Rubio said that uh, he he don't think that this will uh, really be as interesting as many people uh, expect. It will not be this UFO hype. Okay. So many many of those uh, senators are trying to downplay uh, the report. And maybe it's the right thing to do because I don't think the report will give us the answers, only new questions. Okay. Yeah, I think Barack Obama said something similar. Uh, One person who has been talking a lot about this report and been in the media a lot, uh, whom I know that you know, Luis Elizondo, Lou Elizondo, uh, he has. He was. He was the head of the so-called AATIP Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program during ten years, and then he quit. I think in 2017, and he's been in the media a lot, and uh, and 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 he's been, as I said, interviewed a lot. And what what does he think about this? What does he think that this is? Yeah, I made a long interview with Lou Elizondo in February 2018, I think, and then after that we have been in, we have been in contact. And um, he is, uh, on the outside, he's a, he's a very, very serious and uh, very knowledgeable and uh, very, very secure about keeping this distance to what is happening mm-hmm. now. He, he does that. He's good at that. But he believes in quite a lot of paranormal stuff also, and he can see other explanations than, I think, uh, extraterrestrials, which is also, of course... Uh, very much out on a limb when it comes to a former CIA guy like Lou. Um, so I think you really expect this to be something really, really, really strange. That is his take on it. Mm. Not officially, but uh, he really wants it to be that. Mm. And he has done so much uh, uh, TV series and uh, other commercial stuff when it comes to UFOs uh, during the last two years. 
and of course that's his way to earn his living now. Yeah. Uh, he's got no job in the military, but yeah. he says also that he will not say too much. He will not uh, give away what the military may know because he wants to be able to get back into the military. Yeah, yeah. So, point. so he knows more than he tells. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, after he was for ten years the head of this this special branch uh, under the Pentagon or the CIA, under the. Well, it was under the Pentagon, but it was outsourced, and uh, th- this group uh, outsourced the real investigations to yeah. uh, to uh, Bigelow, to the aerospace uh, mogul that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Bigelow. So mm. Bigelow, his industries made the uh, the hard work on on UFO observations, and Bigelow himself used. The largest UFO organization in the U.S., uh, MUFON, Mutual UFO Research Organization. Mm. So, and that is very strange. I mean, have, here we have Pentagon, here we have Lou Elizondo, we have ATIP, and it trickles down to they're using information from a civil UFO group like UFO Sweden. Yeah. To me, it says something. <laughs> and uh, I think Lou Elizondo really wants this to be uh, higher up in this uh, uh, in the uh, hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He okay. wants it to be like it's going to be like now that the observations are coming from the US Navy and the US Air Force instead of the public. Yeah, it is a game changer because uh, earlier it's been ridiculed a lot uh, on that level but now it's taken seriously. That is really true and that's happened before the report is uh, even published. Yeah. And for me, uh, I've been into this business since 19 early 1970s. I'm very glad that this is happening because so many uh, observers have come forward and been ridiculed uh, during the years. Yeah. And they are just telling what they saw. Mm-hmm. Of course, they don't know what they saw. Mm-hmm. But their stories, I mean, you must listen to them. You cannot just laugh mm-hmm. at them. You must take them seriously, see if you can find an explanation, and treat them properly. And now this is really going to go in that direction, thanks to the politicians and uh, what's happening in the U.S. Did you think that that would happen in your lifetime? No, really not. <laughs> this is uh, exciting. Yeah. This is mo- the most exciting part of this story, really, that we now can discuss UFOs in a proper manner. I mean, UFOs are just unidentified flying objects. I want to know what lies behind that. Mm. And, uh, of course, many people would like to know that. So now we can discuss it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and pe- uh, media in the United States are actually calling you to to ask about yeah. this report that's coming, <laughs> and, and, and in Britain and in many other countries. It's nice. It's nice to nice. to be in demand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so th- let's look at some earlier hotly debated possible visits from other civilizations. I mean, who knows? And this is high and low, very different types of of uh, sightings and observations. First. Uh, Want to ask about this Oumuamua uh, in 2017? You know this uh, yeah. uh, object, strange object that 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 entered our solar system and came close to, fairly close to Earth, and it didn't actually arrive at Earth, but it was observed and by by astronomers. And this this uh, I, I think Israeli physician Avi Loeb. Yeah. Loeb, he he said to to the shock of many of his colleagues that we have to take um, into account the possibility that, that this is something extra, extraterrestrial that this comes that this is from from some kind of civilization. What, what's your take on that one? 
Yeah, I was in contact with Avi a couple of hours ago. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he sent me an email. You talked to any, everyone? Yeah. yeah, I tried to. He said, good to hear from you. As of now, uh, he says, uh, I hope to be engaged in a scientific experiment that collects open scientific data on UFOs, UAPs. So uh, he's t- taken a step forward. A step fur- further, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, obvious is a Harvard professor and is is uh, a very high-ranking astronomer. Mm. But his theory is that this Oumuamua object was something uh, made by another civilization. Uh, is of course very much in dispute from uh, the scientific community. Uh, one thing I should say about Oumuamua. Uh, many people think that it flow into our solar system. It was the other way. Muamua was uh, resting in, in uh, space. Okay, so and we were colliding uh-huh, with uh, <laughs> with its. Uh, well, uh, it's, everything is relative. So yeah. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, but it was not looking for us. I see. We we just uh, happened to to pass where it was uh, sitting in the spa- in space. Uh, he has no proof really uh, about this being something uh, out of the ordinary. Uh, the the things he mentioned is that it accelerated in a way when it had, had uh, went around the sun and we're going out from the solar system again. It accelerated in a way that was not um, easy to explain uh, from uh, ordinary physics. Uh, he thinks that it has, must have been a solar sail that was collecting the power mm-hmm. from the solar rays from the, the particles coming from the sun and it was giving a push and accelerating out uh, that is uh, very hard to explain if it was just a stone uh, it, it couldn't really work out that but other other scientists say that um, it was some sort of gas coming out of the stone like from a comet when you see a comet you see a trail yeah but there was no trail here, was it? It wasn't a trail that could be seen, but there are, of course, trails, hydrogen trails and, and other trails that are very hard to see, and it was very far away. There are no pictures of Oumuamua, even though we have seen so many, many drawings yeah, of it. Yeah, drawings, yeah. Nobody has seen it, really. They only done those measurements that show that it was rotating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, So, I mean, the most plausible explanation is probably that it's some kind of asteroid, then. Yeah, that's the most. Uh, possible, yeah, but of it course. but it moved very much more slowly than 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 an asteroid normally does. Yeah, uh, but uh, uh, again, it was sitting there, and we were colliding with it. Or, okay. or it was, so it, maybe it's really isn't uh, uh, the the biggest problem. And just a couple of years after that, or maybe a year, another object turned up in the solar system that was also from an interstellar source, mm. and that we know was a comet. Okay. And uh, but of course, we have only seen two things like this mm. over uh, the years as long as we have a telescopes so there may be loads of them yeah and Avi Loeb s- uh, tells me that we have to wait for the next one and we have to be prepared at that time we must have better telescopes we must be prepared to send us send a probe maybe mm. and, and we were taken aback when yeah. the, really yeah I, I was fascinated when I read about it and, and it wasn't out until a year or two after it actually happened. It uh, was out earlier, really, but uh, okay. it was. In the general public, it yeah. was later. Yeah. So then th- there are so many spectacular, you know, mobile phone uh, films out there. You can, th- there are loads of them. And <laughs> to a layman, you can you can see that some are probably fake, but then sometimes, once in a while, I, I as a layman, I run into 
TV programs and, vi and YouTube videos that, that look really, I mean, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, well, they look trustworthy anyway. And, um, and, and you have these people talking about it, um, even so-called experts. And I saw these films of pyramid-shaped uh, objects uh, turning over the, you Moscow? know, yeah, the Kremlin in yeah. 2008 and then over the Pentagon in 2018. So what's that to you? Well, that the kind of the Pentagon, I have not seen any any good source to. I think that is really pure fabric. Yeah. Uh, the Moscow thing, very strange. Not a single person saw it. There is not a single witness beside the guy who filmed it. Yeah, I think there were three or four people who had. Oh, that. they've never been interviewed by any any researchers. Uh, maybe they've been mentioned that there are several witnesses, but there are no. I mean, I, I know so many Russian ufologists and also ufologists in in the East. Uh, and nobody has been able to track any of those down to to to, uh, to validate mm. what happened really. I I really don't take those kind of films that turns up. No, I I got films every second day. Yeah, you must. Yeah. To me, yeah. and not only from YouTube but from ordinary people who have their mobiles with them, and they are so bad. Uh, I mean, we have had those mobiles for so many years now, and you should think that there should be very good film clips. Yeah. There are very, very, very few of them and the pictures are even worse. Yeah. So, and that tells me that the UFOs are not common. It's a very, very scarce uh, phenomena, really. Mm. That, uh, I mean, UFO Sweden investigates around 300 uh, observations, reports every year and it's not every year that one of them will be labeled UFO. Okay. Not every year. So, Not uh, even every year is one no, being labeled. No. UFO. Yeah, that sells, says something. It does. and uh, but, but the internet is pouring out. Mm. What did you t t say to me the other day? You called it noise. It, to yeah. you, it's noise. <laughs> it's very much noise. And uh, the noise fills my days. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would be glad to keep that noise level down a little. And, and, and of course, the military tells me in Sweden as well that they call it noise as well. They don't want this in their report system because okay. when an enemy is coming, they don't want hundreds of UFO reports clogging the system. Of course. They want the bona fide stuff, mm -hmm. the things that they could do something about. Yeah, that's understandable. So what about, I mean, there there are also some very, very compelling, that's the word I was looking for, <laughs> images uh, ha have been over the years, of course, uh, not thousands, but but a couple of dozen. I don't know, mm. you, you got the figures yeah, better absolutely. than me. But for instance, there was one, one photo that is sometimes labeled as this is the this is the best the clearest UFO photo ever taken uh, in the history of photography and it's the photo over Lake Cote in Costa Rica in 1971 mm. uh, it was a surveillance plane or a plane that was taking photos I think um, over just over the the ground to make maps or something afterwards so it was a plane flying slowly over over the area there and taking the there was a camera underneath the the plane was taking one picture every twenty seconds. It's a day daylight so, picture. I daylight say. picture, yeah. and and so the pilots of the, the the personnel, the staff in the plane, they didn't look at look in the camera. So they just after they landed and developed the film, hmm. they could see that one of the frames, one of the hundreds of frames that they got, showed this very <laughs> interesting object. It was like a flying saucer, sorcerer, you know. Looks it, like a disc, and it's metallic, and, and it's shiny. And a black shiny. Uh, spot in the middle, like a yeah, shadow. Yeah, I think it's a shadow in the middle, and mm. it's over, just over the lake. 
Yeah. So it's and it's I and Costa Rica isn't a military nation, so they I think they released this picture hmm. pretty early. Have what's your take on that? Yeah, picture? yeah it's, it's a very good picture. You can you can say that. And uh, I never really seen any investigation into that. I've seen it published many many times, but I never seen any any, any report made. Not a single. Um, you uh, uh, one should think that the air force in Costa Rica or whatever they have there, the military. Well, they don't have. They no. don't have any military. <laughs> That's the problem. They only have a police force. <laughs> <laughs> but one would think that the Americans, because uh, American ufologists or whatever, they, they have never uh, investigated it. That's it's very, it's very sad because mm. I really want to know more about it. As you say, it's a very, very intriguing picture. It's if it's the best in the world. I wouldn't say because there's so many pe- pictures being said to be the best in the world. Uh, I have seen others. Yeah, that you, are you pick a couple of examples. I mean, you're the expert. What, what would you uh, what give give us two examples of good sightings, good 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 uh, shots? Yeah, most of the sightings are not accompanied by by a shot. I'm sorry to say, uh, yeah. when it comes to pictures, as the Costa Rica uh, picture, they didn't see it with their eyes, which is. That is bad. That's bad, yeah. That is bad. So seeing and taking pictures are often not combined. I talked with a with a lady in uh, in British Columbia who took one of the most famous UFO pictures ever. And you can see it in clear daylight. It's a mountain and it's a small cloud. And over the cloud, you can see this really, really clear flying saucer. She never saw it. When she took the picture, she took the picture of the, this nice mountain, mm-hmm. and a long time afterwards, she developed it and she found it. And I, I, I talked to her, and she's fine. I mean, no problem as far as I can see. But that is often the way it goes. So mm-hmm. when I, it's often the stories. I mean, I met a Swedish military fighter pilot who who was chasing one of those objects, and that to me made a very very big impression because. He kept his story silence for so many years. It happened in 1977. But in 1999, he was uh, up in uh, Luleå at uh, F-21, which is uh, the, the fighter unit in the north of Sweden, mm. Swedish Air Force. He, wa- he met another guy who said, you should tell this to you for Sweden. So he called us. And I made a long interview with him. And his name is Sven Jalmarsson. And this was a la- last interview because he, he uh, crashed with the helicopter half a year after that and uh, everyone aboard uh, died. Oh, yeah. So, um, but he told me that he was flying outside the island of Öland and Gotland, out in the Baltic, on a training missions in 1977 in the summer. It was uh, the middle of the day. And uh, the radar unit on ground was leading him told him that he must uh, go and identify an unknown that was approaching Sweden from the east. So he, he went there. He was alone in his uh, draken, his dragon aircraft, which was the top-notch uh, Swedish uh, fighter at the, at the time. Yeah. yeah, and it was a very, very good aircraft, even internationally. So uh, when he approached this object, he suddenly sees it on his radar as well, and he locks on it so he can't follow it. It was at that time around 10 kilometers above sea level. It was resting there, really sitting still. Oh, really? And that was strange. He thought yeah. it had stopped there. But uh, at one point, uh, maybe half a minute later, the object seems to detect him. So it's, it starts to climb. 
and he also starts to climb and to try to catch it. And he starts uh, his afterburner, which means that he's flying his aircraft as fast as he can. Really. Mm. And he's at that point in 70 degrees angle. Oh, that's is steep. very steep. I mean, a little <coughs> more and he can... He can Tip fall, over. He can do, absolutely. Uh, and he tells me that uh, he tried to, to, to fly as close as he could to this object, but he was outflown. And the object, as he tells me, vanishes right out into space. Mm. But he didn't report this because it was so strange. So he never never told the radar unit on the ground what he saw. He just said that this object was gone when I came there. But to me, he said, to be able to, from a, uh, a point that you're not moving at all, to fly as fast and more mm. as this fighter yet could do, Nothing could do that at that time. Mm. And you can hear these stories very much like the Tic Tac stories. I mean, Yeah, it sounds about, a bit about the same. It, uh, but wh- what did it look like? What did he tell you, Jan about the, the looks of this object? He could never see it with his eyes. He could only see it on his radar. Uh-huh. So I don't know. And uh, it was still um, around 10 kilometers away from him when he... Was as close but the radar point. did record it, so you could see it on the radar afterwards. Yeah, he could see he could see it on the radar all the way, but I mean, it was not recorded. Okay, no. maybe they didn't record at that no, time. No, they did it, and and uh, of course the radar on the ground they record, mm. but uh, most of those files are destroyed, and uh, it wouldn't have been if he had reported it, of course. Yeah, but that time it was so many intrusions from the east yeah. that this was just one mm. of many many. Mm. But this was not anything like anything else yeah. he had seen in his whole life, he told me. But of course, they could see on, on the ground and, and also uh, when they checked the uh, the flight uh, <laughs> the black box, I don't know what it's <laughs> called, that he d- actually did this maneuver, this spectacular maneuver. They could have. If, if he had uh, reported this, uh, it would have been taken uh, care of, of course. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't, and uh, nothing was so done. So for all the others... Um, um, for, for all what the others know, he he could have just dreamt the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he he could. He when he came home that night, his wife tells me that he was all shaken up, mm. and uh, he said that uh, this I saw today was nothing I could explain at all. Otherworldly. Yeah. yeah, interesting. You're you're going just in a couple of days to southern Sweden to to uh, yeah. to, to to look into uh, an event that took place. 60 years ago or something? 75. Like 75 years, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's an anniversary. It is. <laughs> Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. It's called the uh, most uh, well-known Swedish close encounter when it comes to UFOs. It happened uh, May 18th, 1946, and uh, the man who told the story, Justa Karlsson, he's very, very well-known when it comes to Rögle hockey, mm-hmm. uh, the team that played the uh, finals in the... Swedish Hockey League this year. One of the best teams in Sweden nowadays. Yeah. But at that point in the 1970s, when he was involved in, in Rögle, he bought from his own money some of the most famous players at that time. He brought home Ulsterne from New York Rangers. He paid for him to play for Rögle. And also a lot of other people, like Tom Haug and, uh, and uh, people like uh, are very well known outside Sweden as well. And he did that from money he earned from a business, pollen business, uh, and this pollen business is still uh, a big business. And that idea to this pollen business, he got from the, well, 
the guys he met in this clearing, May 18, 1946. Oh, oh, oh. So if you go back to this evening, it was around 10 o'clock in the evening, he was out walking, he had a, a small uh, light, uh, what do you call it, uh, on, around on, his head. Yeah, on the forehead, is a, a lamp on the forehead. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know what you call it. There's probably <laughs> there a word for it. Like a torch, forehead torch. Yeah, yeah. a small torch uh, anyway. Uh, he was out in, in the, near the water and he walked back to his uh, bicycle that was waiting a couple hundred meters up the road. And at that point he saw something uh, in the woods that he thought was a fire. And he thought, I, I must check this, it could be something burning. So he walked into the forest and instead of a fire he met uh, what he thought was something like a carnival carousel. But it wasn't. It was really much more like a flying saucer with a mm. light coming down in a bent way. So the, the light was bending towards the ground. And around this craft he could see several people working, uh, repairing something. And uh, one of those really looked like human an ordinary, r- ordinary human being, uh, dressed in completely white. Uh, and uh, he stopped him. Like a, he was like a sentinel. But uh, just uh, walked a little closer and he could see uh, some of the girls working there were throwing out something uh, from the craft. And it passed this circle of light and it was like a small sparkle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this sentinel, he took uh, some sort of box and pointed to just, a, and then his lamp clicked. Oh. So he walked away and I thought that maybe I could take another way around and see if I can uh, sneak on them from behind. Yeah. So he went down to the water, but at that point he saw the object lifting mm-hmm. from the woods. The next day he went back there and he saw traces uh, from what he thought from, from this craft. And he also found staff of crystal and a ring, golden ring with a stone and two uh, mugs with some uh, kind of uh, liquid in it. Mm. Did he preserve these objects that he found? In a way, uh, in a fire those two mugs was said to be destroyed. But I have seen uh, the other objects. I've held them in my hand, and uh, and the ring is made of uh, out of uh, ordinary earthly yeah, metal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nothing special. There's nothing uh, strange about that. Yeah. But this crystal rod, uh, according to Justa, which is now passed away since many years ago, mm. I followed him for m- more than twenty years. Okay. Uh, this was made from unknown minerals that is not known on earth but i was promised to to get this after his passing away okay i, I didn't get it i was also promised to be able to analyze it i haven't been able to do oh, that that's a pity it's a very much a pity so uh anyway i wrote a book about this and uh it's coming out in a new edition in a couple of weeks and it's a strange story so many questions so many things that are not adding up mm. But it's the most well-known story when it comes to UFOs here in Sweden. Yeah, fascinating. So it's 75-year anniversary coming up here now. You, we have—I mean, you—you've interviewed so many people with, with which uh, who have had had seen UFOs, who have seen UFOs and had these sightings, and uh, 
How, how many other people that you get in contact with have credible stories? What, what's the proportion of, I mean, uh, stories that can't really be explained by something ordinary, so to speak? Mm. Is it 1% or 50% or...? <laughs> one thing is credible. I mean, most people are credible, yeah. I should say. Very few are trying to to fool me or hoax me. Uh, some are, some are. But most people don't really know much about the heavens or what kind of stars and uh, planets you can see. They don't know anything about how an aircraft looks like, even mm. that. Mm. Uh, so the credible stories, we found maybe 98, 99% explanations to. And there are maybe one or two percent there are very, very hard to see an easy explanation to. And I mean, I got many, many stories. So there are a lot of them. Yeah. And I don't only get UFO stories. I mean, I get uh, people who tell me they have met gnomes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you told me about that once, yeah. I mean, that, and that is today. I mean, uh, it's, it's Leprechauns, uh, gnomes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One would think that this is something that is uh, way back in mm. the 1800s or something like that. But it's happening now. And talking about the 1800s, I mean, these days we have the have the moon landings, we have the space programs. Well, back in 1946, we didn't have any space programs, but still, I mean, in, in, in our days, people can easily conjure up some kind of space traveling. Hmm. But these UFO sightings, they they go way back, don't they? I mean, they, there have been uh, doc- they do. do- documentations hundreds of years ago. They do. I'm in a small group called Magonia on the internet. We are maybe... 20 people trying to find uh, observations before 1947 and we are combing all literature and uh, newspapers and whatever mm. uh, there are lots of them there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds but the interesting thing is that connecting those uh, UFOs to visits from other worlds is very new okay uh, in 1946 uh, Sweden was uh, the, the epicenter for a large UFO wave called the ghost rockets. Even Norway and Finland had those ghost rockets, but Sweden was really the, the, the core. And it was written hundreds and hundreds of articles in Sweden's, Swedish newspapers. The military spent a year with a special committee, like the UAPTF, you know, mm-hmm. there have been committees long before the US started it. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't really find out what was behind those ghost rockets. But not a single line about aliens. No one ever thought of aliens in 1946. Hmm. Wow. Um, so, and 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 you hear uh, you hear about abductions and telepathic contact. Also, I mean, the, 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 this is all connected to to the sightings, and you hear about. That of course yeah. too. Do you do you dive deep into those things? What do you think about those things? I mean, just not just sightings, but no. I mean, those are really the most fascinating because I mean, you can you can see whatever you want in the sky. It could be anything really mm. if you are really hard. Uh, but when it comes to meeting entities, and if you are several people seeing them, that's of course very interesting. And I met uh, a couple down in the south of Sweden uh, in the 90s. They had written to me after reading my book about Justa Karlsson, <laughs> mm-hmm. really. And um, the man in the family asked me to come down to, to listen to their story. 
what he had forgotten was to tell his wife that I was coming. So she wasn't that really into sitting down with me, a stranger, oh. telling about this. But in a couple of hours, we were we were sitting there talking about it. And she, who was the really the, the, the prime source of it, she told me that uh, when I when I'm sleeping, I'm get to bed. Uh, the sheets are under my cheek, and I I fell asleep, and I wake up the next morning like that. I'm a very good sleeper. I, do, I don't wake up and walk around. But this night, she woke up uh, floating over the bed. Oh. Uh, curled like, uh, like a fetus. And uh, with his, her face downwards to, to the bed. And it was a strange light in the room. It should have been dark, but it was a light. So you could see her husband sleeping, sound asleep. Uh, beside her and she was feeling that she was dragged out of the bed floating and dragged so she tried to to call her husband but she couldn't she was uh, Mm. like that she couldn't say anything so instead she grabbed his arm and he tells me that he wakes up of of this touch and he can see her floating uh, over the bed towards three entities that was standing beside the bed. Mm-hmm. And those entities were classical Whitley Strieber uh, uh, aliens, really. No hair, small small mouth, small nostrils. Almond-shaped uh, eyes. Absolutely <laughs> little tilted like that. And one was a little larger, the other one was two were a little smaller. And he thought, what shall I do? I mean, what shall I do? So he, he tried to kick at them. So he... He tried really to, to punch them with his foot. <laughs> and when he did that, it all went dark. Mm-hmm. And he heard a pounce. And at that time, uh, his wife were floating outside the bed. So she was falling down on mm-hmm. the floor. She fell on the floor. And if you think that is strange, the next thing that happened is even more strange. Because she just went up into bed and they said, said to each other, what was that? I have no idea. And they fell asleep again. That is not common behavior. If no, you it's not common <laughs> behavior. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a second of sleep after that kind of experience. I can tell you. But that goes with the, with this uh, strange, uh, strange uh, phenomena. Really, I mean, this mm. is a phenomena complex of, yeah. of things, and uh, it happens something to people that experiences things like that, or maybe it's, it's connected to the people. Yeah. I, I don't know. Now that you tell this story, I remember my my dad who passed away. Uh, last year, and and his uh, wife, uh, second wife, they 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 said that they saw some kind of entity one night. They woke up simultaneously and saw some kind of entity <laughs> floating above their bed, and they were they were really scared. They got really scared, but I mean, they didn't. Uh, there was no evidence of it, and they didn't take any pictures, obviously. So I, I just but I, they remember. saw it. Both of them. Yeah, both of them <laughs> yeah. To- told me and and uh, and my wife that they had seen this. That is, this was maybe 10 years ago or so. That is interesting. I mean, yeah. as long as it's two persons, of course, it's more interesting. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, this is, uh, I mean, this is, <laughs> all these things are so fascinating, but you are a very, you're a very down-to-earth person, and I know you as a, I mean, as a journalistic colleague. I remember when we worked together, I remember you as a, I mean, a very, very skilled reporter and and very down to earth, as I said, and practical and sometimes realistic, almost to the <laughs> to the point of coarseness. So, uh, 
and still, and also when you write about these things in in articles and in your blog, you stress always stress the low likelihood of this being something real, but still you continue doing this uh, with gusto. And so, so why? Uh, yeah, <laughs> year after year, it's year a good, good question. Year. It's a good question. And also, course. I mean, why did you become so fascinated when you were kid? Because you, you you began doing this when you were very young. Yeah. What do you think was it with it that made you so fascinated? I mean, I'm, I'm born in 1958, so in the late 60s, I started to read about astronomy, mostly. I got uh, astronomy books at Christmas. I loved them. Uh, but in the early 70s, I started to read about uh, flying saucers and UFOs. And I also uh, got those kinds of books yeah. in the Christmas presents. And uh, I was really curious. I wanted to know what people really saw. So in 1974, I was 16. I started, I founded a small UFO society in Mariestad, where I am born. And we were a couple of guys, not a single girl, of course. <laughs> uh, a couple of guys that were really investigating. We were out on the f in the field and recording people, taking pictures, filling out forms, and doing everything we could to find an explanation. And I realized that we could at many times, but not always. And, of course, this little the rest this product at the end of all those investigations are keeping my interest yeah but don't, not only that i'm also interested in why people report things that are not as what they thought from the beginning i'm very interested in how people tick what what is behind mm. us what, mm. how, why do we believe in things that are so hard to to approve so all this combined keeps me going really so yeah. every day is a new day with very much excitement yeah, I, I can understand that. It's <laughs> it's really fantastic. Um, so let's go a little bit philosophical for a minute, uh, as you actually were here. <laughs> um, I mean, like you said, why are people reporting things that aren't really uh, that we aren't able to to corroborate uh, with, with? I mean, three dimensional gauges. If let's say if no no extra we we go decades uh, in the into the future maybe a century two centuries from now say let's say no extraterrestrial spaceship ever lands uh, and we we never have a close encounter with ETs will people eventually stop reporting UFO sightings ah interesting question no I don't think so because Why? if you go back a couple of hundred years. People were reporting, I mean, they were taking notes or they were putting it down on paper, not reporting it to any UFO society, of course. But they were seeing things in the sky that were strange and they didn't have any context about alien beings. At that time, at that point, they thought it was something maybe... Religious? Exactly. Sent from God. Yeah. And not only that, uh, natural uh, phenomena were in high demand. If you look down in the 1700s and 1800s, the newspapers were filled by reports of very, very strange things in the sky. And uh, we were very curious at that time about how the world was really functioning. Yeah. So I think in the future, we will also have this demand for something more in our lives, something that uh, makes the dullness of going to work or whatever you do a little more exciting, a little more to think of and to discuss with your friends. So we will never, never get rid of the UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a saying, or it's not a saying really, it's uh, something that people often say that uh, I will uh, 
I believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you can turn that around, actually. I see it when I believe it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true too. And, and and we're not in the, especially not in the West, we're not used to looking at things that way. But the question is, can you see anything if you don't believe? I mean, you have to believe that the world is uh, round to see that it's round. I mean, that's yeah. a stupid example. But but if you believe in things, maybe you start seeing them. Uh, I mean, it's it's philosophical and it's, maybe it sounds a bit strange, but do you, do you see no, my we, point here? Yeah, I see your point. When it comes to seeing things that you don't believe, it happens all the time when it comes to UFOs because mm. people tell us, oh, I saw this and I never believed I showed you. Ah, I never. That's true, yeah. So that way it's easy to understand. Mm. If you can see things because you believe in them, that we don't really, I don't really know, but well, it, it could be possible, I think, in some way. But in, that, in that respect, you, you create your reality. Mm. And in a way we do. In a way we do, yeah. I mean, we are just uh, putting uh, signals into our brains all the time and building our uh, reality. <laughs> oh, I lost the word. Uh, reality. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this table is mostly air or vacuum or whatever. It's nothing. It's just uh, molecules yeah. that you could really are not sitting together in any way. No, it's 99.99999% uh, vacuum, as we would call it. But yeah. the vacuum is also packed with energy. It is. Albeit. So it, it's a strange world. I mean, yeah. I don't have the answers. And I'm really mm. open to that will be new answers in a couple of hundred years that mm. we don't even now today can think of. So we must be very open to looking in new directions. Mm. If we don't do that, we don't find anything. Yeah, that's the thing with UFOs and extraterrestrials. I mean, if there are as uh, if there are civilizations out there, I think I think we're not alone. But I mean, just just what I think. I can't prove it, but it would be very very peculiar if we were the only civilized uh, uh, civilization in in the universe. Anyway, if they are able to come here in in some way, it means that they have some kind of technology that would probably be able to to tweak dimensions and and be able to utilize you know different vibrations. Uh, which means that they wouldn't need any any propulsion system, so they wouldn't need these old-fashioned rockets or, or so, uh, which also means that they might not be visible to us hmm. uh, uh, for the most part. And then they can... I mean, this is something that you hear. I know that you've, you've been talking about this, that people, people say that they, oh, they saw this UFO, it was so clear, and then all of a sudden it was gone. Hmm. And so that that might be a thing that th- they might be here all the time, perhaps, uh, and they just show themselves to us in a three-dimensional way, so that we can see them with our senses occasionally, and then most of the time we can't see them, or feel them, or hear them. Or I mean, if if they are coming here from far away, uh, and so often as they are reported, <laughs> they must be able to travel in ways that we don't understand. Yeah. Uh, that is for sure. If you ask. Avi Loeb, he don't think that. He thinks they are traveling uh, by ordinary physical means, by solar sails, uh, that is possible to, to travel very, very fast. And if you want to uh, populate uh, the galaxy, you can do that in not too many thousands of years if you do it the right way. So, I mean... Let's do it. Let's, let's populate the it. galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll let the, the sci-fi authors do that, I think. I don't yeah. have time to do it. Uh, I mean, th- those questions are discussed by, by physicists, of course, and uh, uh, I don't understand the mathematics behind this. I 
Mm. will absolutely be the first to, to say. Mm. But I'm open to uh, that it will be uh, revelations uh, within this, the science, mm. the boundaries of science, that are so new to us that we feel that they are nearly, nearly magic. Yeah. And I mean, progress is, uh, within progress lies the idea that, that, that you can envis- envisage something that, that isn't here now. Mm. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any progress. I mean, the, the, the ability to, to, to think, think out of the box. Th- really. Think out of the box <laughs> is the old expression, yeah. So maybe it's, uh, we, I mean, it would be so much less interesting and so much more boring to live your life as if nothing that you can measure with three-dimensional gauges uh, exist. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, 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 uh, and it's very counterproductive to think like that as well. I mean, and I think the good scientists, they are really thinking out of the box. Mm. They, are, they are doing the quantum leaps from time to time that nobody has seen before. I mean, if you're an Einstein or whatever, or a Newton, you were thinking in new ways of the universe and how the world is, is uh, constituted. So uh, I, I hope I will live for many, many years because uh, I want to know as much as I can. Yeah, or maybe in the next life. <laughs> Who yeah, knows? hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> if you are in the next life, I think you are not very interested in this life. So probably, <laughs> you're probably right there. So yeah, I, yeah, me too. I would like to live for for a long time in this in this life. Yeah, on this world. So Let's try. I'm also curious. Let's try it. Klaus, this has been fantastic. Do you do you have a website where can people find your books and and your work most easily? Uh, UFO.se is uh, our website, and uh, I have a blog there. Uh, I'm also at afu.se, which is the world's largest uh, UFO archive, which I am chairman of. ifu.se? Yeah, archives for the unexplained. And uh, that I work with every day, really, and trying oh. to save collections and files from all around the world. And uh, it's a huge depository of knowledge. Yeah, and you're so incredibly industrious. <laughs> I don't understand how you can how you do it. <laughs> Thank you, Klaus. Thank you for joining the show. Uh, it's been a joy and an education. Absolutely. Thank you, Anders.